Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan. Hi guys. Uh, Thank you for joining us once again. We've got a really special two-part episode for you today. Uh, But before we get there, we would just like to thank our most recent Patreon supporters. Yes, so a massive thank you to these guys who signed up recently to support us on Patreon. So we've got William N. Robinson, Spencer Whiten, Roshin Marie, Katie Tyler, Violet, Nicholas Moore, Katie Harron, Emily Ward, Molly Simons, Hayley and Natalie Taylor. Natalie, thank you for signing up as an annual patron as well. If you would like to join these guys, then you can head over to patreon.com slash seeingredpodcast. And please do come and join us on all the usual social media. So we've got Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, You can email us as well and just come and chat to us. Let us know your thoughts on today's episodes and anything about true crime. Uh, and if you do want to contact us via email, it's info at seeingredpodcast.co.uk. So Bethan's taking part one of this episode. So um, over to you, Bethan. Yes, it's going to be a bit of an unusual one because we're doing a two-parter, but we're both covering the same case. So I think that's an absolute first, isn't it? It definitely is a first for us, yeah. So not only is this a case that one of our listeners has asked us to cover, it's also a first for the show because she's asked us to cover it as the person involved is her mum, which is just major. When Emma messaged the page, I felt like this was definitely a case for us to cover, not only because it feels important to help her get the story out there, but also because it feel it might prompt some important discussions. So in a similar note to my Manchester Pusher fact or fiction episodes, and then the discussions that we had around that, this may be a case where you believe a crime took place, or you may agree with the official verdict. So we would really appreciate your thoughts as usual over on our social media pages after the episode's released. A lot of what we're going to be sharing with you today comes directly from Emma, as well as from the official investigation and the inquest. So, as we were saying, it's a first for Seeing Red. We're going to share the retelling of Heather's story. In part one, I'm going to be discussing the lead-up to the 10th of June 2003 and the tragedy that occurred. And then in part two, Mark will be taking us through the investigation and the aftermath as he tells us about the legacy of Heather's accident. Emma was just 11 when the events we will be covering happened. She was just living her normal life, but then the unthinkable happened and the world she was so used to was shattered into pieces. Losing a parent at such a young age could so easily send someone down a dark path, but Emma has not allowed this to happen. Instead, she's worked really hard to achieve her goals. She now works as a children's mental health worker and puts her energy into helping and supporting others. She remembers her mum fondly and has worked hard to ensure that the events have not been forgotten so others can be kept safe. Heather was born Heather Julie Richmond on the 4th of January 1965 to parents Alan and Wendy. She grew up with her parents and two brothers, Brian and Paul, in Lincoln, which is a cathedral city in the county town of Lincolnshire in the East Midlands of England. After leaving school, she worked in administration and accountancy. Heather met her future husband Simon Bell when they were both playing clarinet in a local band. They got married in 1986. Simon owned a family steel fabrication business, which Heather helped out in, until she had Emma in 1991. Emma's sister Jess soon followed, born in 1995, and the family of four lived in a quaint little village on the outskirts of Lincoln called Middle Raisin. Emma and Jess had a lovely childhood. Their mum was devoted to them and to her role as a mother. 
Heather was an active part of the community. Emma said her mum filled her time volunteering to help at groups such as Rainbows and Brownies, volunteering to help out at her children's primary school. She was a part of the Mother's Union and an active member of her local church. So Emma described her as a well-known and respected member of the community and would always help out and support anyone that needed it. The family life was typical and quite happy village life. In 2001, Emma got something that many youngsters dream of, her very own pony. She'd been having riding lessons for a while and it had become a real passion for her. So Dusty joined the family and Emma felt like her dreams had come true. Heather then began to share her daughter's passion and horse riding was something that the pair shared. Heather was there to help Emma with the horse over the next couple of years, accompanying her to lessons and competitions, and also helped out with the day-to-day care of Dusty. Whilst Heather enjoyed her daughter's passion, it also worried her. After Emma's first competition, where she fell off and winded herself, Heather declared she wouldn't be able to watch her daughter in an event again. She helped before, she helped after, but whilst Emma was in the ring, Heather just had to take herself away and not watch because worries were flooding through her mind. Emma said that, ironically, when Heather did finally decide to come and watch Emma compete again, she came off the horse. So Heather did really feel like a jinx. And I also wanted to add a bit of a personal note here, as perhaps this is why Heather's story really spoke to me. I also come from a bit of a horsey family. My mum and my sister have their own horses. My sister's job is looking after horses. So I do really worry for them, as having ridden since a teen myself, I know how unpredictable horses can be. Even the best or safest horse can be spooked. About two weeks before my wedding, my sister came off her horse after she got spooked by a tractor and she cracked her head open on a rock. 14 stitches and a lot of rest later, she was okay. But we were all absolutely beside ourselves with worry. And we had that awful feeling of fear from knowing how badly her accident could have gone. And it sounds really silly, but because it was only two weeks before my wedding, she wasn't able to brush her hair properly for my wedding. She had to kind of position her hair using clips to hide this gigantic wound on her head and she wasn't allowed to brush it properly and stuff. So I don't know, maybe that's why um, Heather and Emma's story kind of really spoke to me. I think if you've got a particular passion for horses and you've grown up with them and around them, then I totally understand that. For me, I've never really been into horses and I, I actually do consider them to be really unpredictable animals and I think I think I probably fall into that category of somebody who is probably just a little bit scared of them because of the power that they they have if they kick out or if they get spooked so yeah I am a little bit wary of horses I would say personally I think that's sensible though because they are big like it's not like you just around a little animal no and even like my mum's horse is an absolute angel she's adorable and and when I came off her she actually came over and was really worried about me and I had to then kind of like tell her I was okay and like fuss her even though I was the one who was injured and I was like thanks for that Mary but like they are also very very caring animals and very sweet animals so yeah it's it's difficult one isn't it they are unpredictable but then all animals are even the softest of dogs could snap if you wind them up wrong But anyway, enough about me, 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 Um, and back to Heather. So she not only enjoyed spending time with her daughter learning about her passion, she soon decided that she wanted to begin horse riding too. So Dusty was kept at a local livery owned by a lady called Jess Fussy, who was also a family friend. And when Heather and Simon agreed to buy a new horse for Emma, Jess suggested a horse that the family already knew quite well called Midget. 
Jess began teaching Heather how to ride and also started taking Heather out to improve her riding skills and her confidence. Heather and Jess became friends. Heather supported Jess through the death of her husband. And when she began having riding lessons, Jess taught her as a friend rather than charging her. Emma and Jess were close too. Not only had Jess taught Emma to ride, but Emma helped out with Jess's young children and the pair had a number of shared horsey interests. A few days into June 2003, Emma and Heather took their horses out on their first ever ride out together, just the two of them, in the countryside. A few days into June 2003, Emma and her mum Heather took their horses out on their first ever ride out together, just the two of them, in the countryside, and it sounds like it was a really lovely day out with the two of them. And then a few days later, on the 10th of June 2003, Emma and her sister Jess headed off to school as normal waving goodbyes to their mum, who was planning a ride out that morning. Emma said of her mum to me, I always remember her being there to look after us and support us, and I have no doubt that in those first 11 years I had with my mum, she set me up to be a strong enough person to survive what was going to come. So on the morning of the 10th of June, Jess from the livery, Heather and their friend Vicky were preparing to go out for a ride together. In a similar way to her supporting Jess, Heather had been a source of comfort for Vicky when she had lost her husband. Jess had been Vicky's maid of honour at her wedding, so the three were really good friends. Jess was the most experienced rider, and Heather was the least experienced, with Vicky having only just recently gotten back into horse riding, although she had ridden years previously. So therefore, Jess planned the route that the group would take to a nice and easy one, and the horse choices were made with this in mind too. Heather was on a horse called Midget, the one that the family were planning to buy, who Jess had owned for years, and the horse has been described as dependable, easygoing, calm, used to the roads, and even traffic on the A46. Vicky was riding a horse called Missy, who was also described as dependable and sensible. And Jess was riding Spetter, who was a younger horse, a little bit more hot-headed than the others, and a horse that had only been broken in in the previous November. Jess checked all the tack and ensured that the horses were prepped for the ride out. Her mother-in-law also helped her to double-check, and then the three friends got onto their horses and set off into the Lincolnshire countryside. That morning it had been drizzly, but by the time they set off it was dry and sunny. Jess took the lead and they headed to the village from the stables, past the village church. At one point they came across a dustbin lorry, and Spetter wasn't 100% sure, but she did pass it okay. The other two horses weren't even phased at all. And when they came across that same bin lorry a while later, Spetter was absolutely fine walking past it. The group joined a bridleway and rode along this side by side. There were hedgerows alongside them with fields beyond. The views must have been beautiful and the three chatted happily as they enjoyed the summer morning. Jess remembers them having a conversation about living life in the moment and they came round a sharp corner and onto another length of bridle path where the hedgerow was a little bit broken up and shorter. Heather called out, wow, that's low and pointed into the distance where the women saw a helicopter headed straight towards them. Approximately 100 yards away, the aircraft was headed their way across a field, causing the crops below to blow from the wind. It wasn't very loud at first, and Jess thought it would probably be okay, that the pilots would surely see them and change course. She could see the large windscreen with people inside. She noted she could even see that they were wearing helmets, 
but the sound got louder and louder. The helicopter didn't change course. It continued to fly directly at the group of horses and riders, Jess estimating it was only about 20 feet above them at this point. So later witnesses to the Chinook flying overhead also described the height it was flying at as low and there was a lady who was driving in her car and said it passed over the road above her really low. Some of the estimations were almost a bit too ridiculous when I was reading through but I figured I'm a bit rubbish at knowing how tall things are and how far things away. I'm not very good at estimating but there were plenty of witnesses who kind of described that height as, as low. Heather asked if they would be all right. All the women were just terrified as the helicopter continued its path towards them. Vicky said she could feel her horse getting tense and then the aircraft was directly over them. She described it as something out of a war film where the sun was blocked out and that she almost expected people to jump out. And then as the helicopter thundered above the trio, the horses lost it and began to bolt. Jess, the most experienced of the group, wasn't able to control her horse, who bolted flat out alongside Heather on her horse. Aware that Heather had never ridden at a pace faster than a trot before, Jess yelled instructions for her friend, encouraging her to just sit up, hold on, relax, pull on the reins, whilst still attempting to bring her own horse under control. They rounded a corner at speed and Heather was thrown off, Jess later saying, like a ragdoll. Vicky's horse had also bolted initially, but was brought under control shortly after, although she was still on edge, and Vicky set about looking for her friends who had gone round a bend and were out of sight. She saw Jess on Spetter and then Midget, but she couldn't see Heather, and she kind of expected to round the bend and come across her, dusting herself off, you know, just walking back towards her. But instead, she saw that her friend was still on the floor. Her arm was twisted behind her back, she wasn't moving, and she had blood pouring from her ears, nose and mouth. So Vicky jumped down from Missy and shouted for Jess to go and get help, and then she let go of her horse's reins. Missy headed the same route back home with Jess, whilst Vicky, who had nursing experience, attempted to help Heather. She didn't want to move her friend too much, but she was really worried about her airway being obstructed, so she carefully checked her mouth with a finger. Heather would have had her mobile phone on her, but they didn't want to move her, so Jess decided to hurry back to the farm and get help. There was a builder there called Simon who jumped in his van to drive along to Heather and Vicky. Whilst he did so, he called 999 on his mobile phone. Pat, Jess's mother-in-law, phoned the doctor from the house, and after securing Spetter, Jess jumped in her car to return to the scene. Vicky was on the phone to the emergency services who advised her on what to do and the air ambulance arrived shortly after. The paramedics began resuscitating Heather and as they loaded her into the ambulance they said she was breathing spontaneously again. She was still unconscious however. And in a really cruel twist to this story it was morning break time at Emma and Jess's school and they were out on the playground and they saw the air ambulance landing close by. Emma remembers thinking that there must have been a car accident on the nearby main road, but of course this was not the case. And a while later that afternoon, Emma was called to reception and was told that at the end of the day, she had to walk home with her sister. It wasn't a particularly unusual request and neither girl really thought anything of it. So when the end of the day came, they just walked home together as they had done many times before. When they approached the house, they saw their dad looking out of the kitchen window watching them walk down the road and in Emma's words 
Dad has since said that this was the hardest moment of his life, watching us walk home happy and knowing what he was going to have to tell us. We saw our Jeep on the drive, which Mum always drove, and I started to wonder if something had happened to someone else in the family and she was with them, which would explain why Dad was home with the car. Dad worked seven days a week and it was unusual for him to be at home waiting for us. We walked in the door and Dad took us through to the lounge and sat us down, explaining that Mum had been in an accident. I can't remember what he said exactly or how he explained it, but it was clear that it was serious. The family headed to the hospital. Immediately after the accident, Simon, Emma and Jess's dad, had rushed to the scene of the accident and the builder, Simon, who had been the one to phone the emergency services, drove him to Lincoln County Hospital. Jess and Vicky had tried to calm down at the farm. They had given him a bit of time and space before they also headed over to the hospital too and Vicky had to drive because Jess was just too shaken to drive. The group were told that Heather had less than 1% chance of survival and that she had suffered brain damage, although her helmet was intact after the fall. When Simon returned with his daughters, the group waited in a family room for any news. Lying peacefully on a bed, hooked up to machines, Heather seemed to be sleeping, and when her girls visited her, they observed that there didn't really look like there was a mark on her. The family headed home that night, and returned to the hospital on Wednesday the 11th of June, where Heather was officially pronounced dead at midday. The family spent some time with her in the Chapel of Rest on the Thursday, they chose an outfit for her, and they spent time reflectively together. And the girls headed back to school, the routine and normality, a way of helping them to cope. But in an ironic moment one lunch break, Emma saw diggers in the church ground next to their school. They were digging her mum's grave, and her teachers swiftly ushered her away. As she noted, not great timing at all. And then it was Heather's funeral, on the 20th of June. The family walked behind her coffin to the church, which was absolutely packed with people who loved Heather, who were there to pay their respects. Jess Fussy read a poem on behalf of Simon, which Emma included in her emails to us, and she said to us, I can recite that poem off by heart, it always stuck with me. And the poem was, On the day that we were married, they told us we were one, but no one told us what to do when half of us is gone. You were the other half of me, a heart linked to my own, What do I do with half a life now I am on my own? And I don't think there's any better way to explain it. Like, part of you is just not there anymore. The weeks and months that followed were a blur of well wishes, food deliveries, sympathy cards and visitors. Emma started secondary school in the September, which she says was really tough. The family decided not to go ahead with their purchase of the horse midget. And when Emma outgrew Dusty, she didn't get another horse and slowly her horse riding days came to an end. And I have to say here, I'm in awe of the fact that she continued at all. The inquest happened a year later and Mark is going to go into a bit more detail about this in part two. So I'm going to finish part one here with a few final words from Emma. My mum was a truly wonderful person and I wish so much that I had more time to get to know her. Because Jess and I were so young when we lost her, we have such limited memories. I am so proud to be her daughter and I try to carry on the kind of person she was, always helping and supporting others. I miss her every day and hope that I do her proud. The person I feel most sorry for in all of this is mum. She lived to be a mum and look after us and that was taken away from her. She has missed out on seeing us through school through our relationship troubles, my graduation, my sister getting her management role in an estate agent's, every birthday, 
and every Christmas. It's so obvious that she isn't here. She is going to miss my wedding. She will never meet the man I'm going to marry. She missed so much and it feels so unfair. I'm now engaged to the most supportive and perfect man and we are due to get married next October. I am a children's mental health worker and I now put my energy into helping and supporting others. I go horse riding once a week. I have no doubt that it was the upbringing and solid, safe and happy start to life that mum gave me that has meant I have come out of this all right. Sometimes I wonder how I have turned out all right, but I know she is responsible for that. So a really moving kind of end to the episode and I but I wanted to use all of her words kind of and read them as she'd written to us. And we don't have any sponsors for this show, but we decided that we would, because Emma's one of our Patreon supporters, we thought we would just talk to you a little bit about Patreon at the end of this, but we don't have any sponsors. So uh, as Bethan said, that brings to an end part one. Part two is out now, so um, have a look for that and uh, get listening. This week, we have no show sponsors to tell you about, so we decided we would talk to you about Patreon. You guys hear us talk about it in every show when we thank our new patrons or plug our latest bonus episode, but what exactly is Patreon? Patreon is a website that allows fans to pay their favourite creators a monthly amount of their choice in exchange for exclusive access, extra content or a closer look into their creative journey. It helps us create more of what you love. We have different tiers of support starting at $3 or £1.95 a month and there's no minimum term, you can cancel any time and you can support us from anywhere in the world. We release the bonus episodes on the last Friday of every month and they can be streamed directly through the Patreon app so you can listen to them anytime, anywhere. And some podcast providers, such as Apple Podcasts, even allow you to stream the bonus content through their platform. It's dead easy, you just copy and paste a link that we send you, plug in and play. And there's a back catalogue of over a dozen bonus episodes available for your listening pleasure. The support that you provide us through Patreon allows us to continue producing the show week in, week out. The money that we earn through Patreon helps us to cover all of our running costs and it helps us make a little bit of extra cash, which definitely comes in handy. It takes two minutes to sign up and open yourself up to a whole new world. A world filled with Seeing Red bonus episodes, exclusive Seeing Red competitions, blog posts giving you the inside track on the show and much more. So you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash seeing red podcast. There is a direct link in the show notes or you can just Google Patreon seeing red and you will find us.
Hi angels, it's your girl Louise Romball and I'm the host of the Open House Podcast. Therapy quite literally changed my life and sent me straight into my hot healing girl era. Now each week I share my story, the good, the bad and the downright juicy and chat with some of the world's best therapists, psychologists and wellness experts. From love, sex and dating to attachment styles, nervous system regulation, wellness hacks, hormone balancing and more, nothing is off the table. I've emptied my bank account on therapy and healing so you don't have to. So if you're ready to leave the past in the past and build the future you've always deserved, me and my favorite experts are waiting for you on the Open House podcast. Listen now wherever you stream your podcasts and I cannot wait to meet you.